AnteUp is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But AnteUp is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. AnteUp, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's June 7th, 2019. You're about to listen to the greatest poker cast there ever was. I'm Chris Casenza. <laughs> I'm Scott Long. Uh, I, some of the stuff that's on the file today, uh, I'm going to need you to explain to me <laughs> uh like this first item obviously i i don't understand what's going on here i i read it i i read it, the link you, you need to help me out here what, what the hell what the hell is going on here uh, i will do my best but some of this stuff is beyond our pay grade i think so <laughs> all right all right a few poker pros who post videos to youtube have found they are dangerously Dangerously close to having their accounts removed after the online video giant began informing them that some of the content violates the site's terms and conditions. Jamie Staples has had at least 150 of his 1,000 YouTube videos removed and has one of three strikes YouTube gives before removing a content contributor completely. Uh, Evan Jarvis has two strikes against him and about 100 of his videos removed. The two and other YouTubers say YouTube says some of the content features links to online poker sites. While they are sympathetic to YouTube's concerns, they are struggling to set up a conversation with anyone at YouTube about how poker is different from other forms of gambling and are rallying their viewers and other poker fans to plead their case to YouTube. So they're so basically... Say, what, do you, what do you think, Chris? Because you don't know. <laughs> well, all right. So here's why, here's why I just want to say what I think and then whether or not I'm right or not. So they're saying that they think poker is gambling and gambling is forbidden to be violation of the, the violation of their terms, yes. But is it the the act of actually gambling? I don't understand how this no, violates their they, terms. They, I mean, you can see stuff that's online all the time that is against the law. Like what's being shown on the video is against the law, but the person posting the video isn't doing anything wrong. I don't get it. Yeah, I think it sounded like it was. It was. It could have been better explained in the uh, the Poker News article, I believe. But uh, I believe what it was. They said in some places, like in the description of the videos, it had links to online poker sites. Um, I think it also might have had to do with um, uh, logos and signage in the videos um, advertising online poker sites. So I, I don't think it had anything to do with the fact that they posted a video of them playing poker. I think it had more to do with. Advertising online sites, which um, all right. So I clearly, I clearly have a problem with this because are you telling me that they're going to take down every single World Series of Poker video on there that someone has a patch on that has the website of PokerStars.com on it? Uh, they might. I mean, come on, this is ridiculous. There's a lot of videos on YouTube, so that's what I'm saying. This is ridiculous. This is absolutely ridiculous. And and how I I don't I do not like an entity that enforces things but won't come to the table to talk to you about why they're doing this or at least hear your side of the conversation. I do not like that. That's like a, 
what, do you, what would you call it? Dictatorship? Where they just say whatever ha- I mean, I realize it's their site, but they still should talk to you about it, right? This isn't, I don't know. I just don't, I don't like that at all. I mean, I'm not going to stop watching stuff on YouTube, but that's not right. Yeah, I mean, there, there's lots of uh, layers to this onion, as always, right? So um, on one side, and uh, and I do appreciate that uh, at least a couple folks um, who are in this pickle uh, that were interviewed by Poker News have, have admitted it. I'm like, you know, YouTube is – that's their site, right? So they, they can dictate whatever they want on right. that site. So, you know, it's like uh, – uh, you know, your favorite poker room deciding to rate $20 a hand, right? So, you know, it's not great for them. It's not great for you, but you have a choice of walking out or, or using it. If you, want, if you want to play poker in that room, you have to play by the rules, right? So uh, th- that part I get. Now, uh, the other part are, I mean, uh, yeah, the um, the fact that these guys have been emailing, trying to get a, a conversation with a phone, in person, anything, and all they're doing is getting uh, generated uh, emails um, saying that their um, content is forbidden and um, trying to explain it. Now, I, I also don't think that they have any chance at all <laughs> of convincing whoever's going to answer the phone at YouTube whenever they answer the phone that uh, poker is different than gambling. I mean, that's our ongoing fight everywhere, right? Yeah, so yeah. do not – I mean, yeah, they can, it's great that they're rallying their, their uh, viewers and – poker fans to to email youtube to ask them to change and maybe that groundswell might have some kind of effect but um I'm very skeptical of that right so uh, i don't think that's going to change anything so really i think it's about now uh changing your videos to conform to their terms and conditions if you want to use youtube and um obviously these po- people make a lot of money doing it <laughs> that's the best thing to do now is just make sure you um are in compliance while you're secondarily having this argument um, about how you should be able to do what you want to do and how that's not a violation, right? <clears throat> I, it's, um, it is confusing. How do you, I mean, they're, they're limiting how much they can make because they're not letting them talk about the sites that are giving them, you know, uh, with the rig back or whatever it is that they get from putting their links on there or whatever. Um, but, yeah, no, I, here's the deal. I completely agree that YouTube can do whatever they want or it wants with its site, and you have to conform to what they want. But to not give them an audience, like when we like we have the Annie Up fans page on Facebook, we have it right in, there in the rules. Hey, this is about you know, Annie Up fans, Annie Up show, whatever it is, but don't hawk your wares on here. If you do, we'll remove your post. And people have come on every once in a while, and they've done it. They They've hawked their wares. I've removed the post, and I put on there as a reminder. Hey, everyone, just remind. So I'm there. You're there. We're admins of our own site. We own the company. You can talk to us all you want about your problems or whatever, and we'll we'll we give you an audience. If you you know, hey, why'd you take my post down? Or we'll be glad to tell you why because you violated the, the terms and you know agreement that we provided this page for you. That's what YouTube should be doing. I, I don't care what YouTube does. They can say, hey, you can only do videos on cats and. You know, whatever, and that's their choice. Um, so I don't, I don't disagree with YouTube. I just don't like the fact that these guys aren't getting a chance to talk to somebody, and explain it, and then if at that point they say, "Look, you know, we don't care what you have to say. We don't like what you're doing. We don't like it, whatever." And this is what you need to do to clean up your act and keep your videos on our site. Then that's fine, but give them an audience at least. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't want to be the bad guy here in, in acting like I am. Um, um... Uh, in opposition to what you're saying, but I mean, here's the reality of these internet giants now. They, they've grown so big now with so many users 
but it's a, it's impossible really to give that kind of customer service that a company our size gives, right? So yeah, um, and and you got to think. Uh, I mean, think about Facebook. Um, you know how many idiots around that don't know how to do Facebook? I mean post things or anything like that right yeah or used to the old days of just calling somebody and getting an answer are frustrated because you can't call facebook right so um but imagine if all those people that had a problem on facebook or youtube calling a number and you, you the, the the call center would have to be massive for these places right and um and we all know what happens when a call center gets really massive <laughs> so it ends up not being helpful even if you can get a hold of anybody so um you know, uh, so I, to some degree, I'm like, that's just the reality of the world we are in now with the, with these big sites. I'm like, you know, you could start posting your videos on Scott and Chris's tube. And <laughs> when, you, when you have a problem with us, then, yeah, we're going to pick up the phone and answer it. But we're also not going to have the audience that YouTube has. Right. So that's the, that's the yin and yang. It's, it, that's what we're talking about business in, in general. Right. So, I mean, Amazon, every time how Amazon's putting all these mom and pops out of business. Well, the one advantage that mom and pop stores have is that they you know, the customer service, they have that uh, ability to interact uh, in ways that Amazon can't, and that's the same way with this. So, but if you choose to purchase from Amazon, then... It's it's interesting you say that, though, because that was going to be the example I was going to give you where they do, you can call up and talk to somebody and complain about Amazon and get someone on the phone that can help you. You know, I mean, you can't call anyone for YouTube, but you can call somebody for Amazon. I, I, you always get somebody who can help you, and if you don't like what that person says, you ask for someone else, and they'll give you someone higher up. And you actually can get people on the phone at Amazon because right. they, they have yeah. to. You're right. That's probably not a good comparison, but also Amazon's a different business too, right? You know, they're uh, they're in the business of selling stuff, so I mean, the customers are more important. Uh, I wouldn't say that's kind of a weird way of saying it, not more important than YouTube's customers, but you know. YouTube is essentially taking your content and monetizing it. So, you know, if you take your ball and go home, there's five million other people still posting videos every day, right? Yeah. Uh, if if you if people quit buying stuff on Amazon, <laughs> that's a bigger problem. So, you know, they probably uh, purposely have invested more in a call center than than a YouTube or Facebook. So, um, well, I just I just think that YouTube would benefit from having some sort of hey, it's going to take 45 minutes to get to you, but we will get to you for your phone call. You know what I mean? If they had just a handful of them on there, for, and it's just for vendors only. If you're a vendor, or whatever you want to call it, if you're a content contributor, press 1, you know, something. It just seems to me like to just shut out everyone and just blindly, you know, it just, I don't know. Yeah, I agree, though. I, I, I'm not... I'm not playing devil's advocate here. I'm well, just saying, There's you know, also a difference between having a call line for general YouTube questions versus people that have gotten one or two of these strikes. Yeah. <laughs> they are dangerous. So, uh, you, yeah, I think there is a fair case to be made that if, if – if, I don't know how many people get flagged every day on YouTube. It might be millions. I don't know. It could be ten. I don't know, right? Right. But, um, but yeah, there, there is a difference there um, that, that should be. Now – I, what I will say is that these folks have obviously done a good job of making this an issue now. Um, you know, wh- whether the news coverage of this reaches somebody at, at YouTube, um, that might be what it takes to get somebody to, you know, set up a call or something like that. But but again, remember, I think going back to what I'm saying, I I, you know, I think I'm right on this. I'm like, I, I just don't think that conversation is going to go the way they want it to, even if they get it. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, it is. Know, it, I was going to say it is perplexing that what they'll now constitute as promoting gambling, like the fact that you're telling somebody how to play slots or how to play, 
you know, roulette or how to play poker, now will that violate some sort of term because you're telling them how to gamble? You're just not promoting where to gamble, you know. So then, now are you going to stop running videos that say "coming to you live from the Rio"? It's Penn and Teller. Oh wait, the Rio? What's that? It's a casino. Oh, you're promoting a casino. We can't do that. That's gambling. Take it off there. You know, it's it's just it seems like it's it's they're picking and choosing. What? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know what the specific. I I, I never post anything to YouTube, so I've never you know read their terms and conditions, and uh, I imagine almost no one ever reads them, right? So. Right. Um, so I, I don't know what the exact specificity specifics are. I imagine that it's more specific than we think it is. It's not just gambling. It's a you know you know like I said specifically putting a link to a gambling site that that does seem like something that might flag something. Um, the 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 in video um, logos and things. If that's really the case, that might be a stretch. But yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, but th- there might be more to this than we know, um, you know. But uh, but really, I think the the moral is, you know, you know, it, it's funny because you know, I, I this is more of a case for me with Facebook. Uh, people whine uh, about Facebook. I love Facebook. I know there's a lot of problems with Facebook, but I love it. Um, but it's interesting how people feel like it's their own, you know, <laughs> like oh my god, they're they're taking my content. <laughs> like no, you gave them your content. Yeah. So, you know, I'm like, you know, and you have a choice, you know, Mark Zuckerberg is not forcing everybody to post pictures of their cats on Facebook, right? So (laughs) you don't want them to do whatever they're doing with that information. You have a choice and that's not to be honest. Well, but I like it. Okay, well, (laughs) that's the point, right? So, um, so I don't know. To me, that's really the thing, too, is just now, but I do understand that the you know this one guy woke up one day and had two strikes against him and if you get one more you're you're off the site that's really scary I think at that point so yeah that's his entire income gone if that's what he's relying yeah. on yeah. so I mean it might be need to be a better communication on that you know I would say one strike you know, all right all right now we can figure out what's going on but if I wake up in the morning I got two strikes already and I'm like <laughs> wasn't even at the wasn't even at the plate right so that that's a that's a tough thing to mess up. So I guess we'll see what happens with it. But uh, I wish them well. But uh, yeah, I think they're, they're they've got a um, they've got a real strong paddle because they're paddling upstream on this one. Well, that's 13 minutes of my life. We'll never get back. So uh, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> All right. Well, I wasn't going to put this on the show because we already talked about this guy a lot. And uh, but I thought this this quote I, I saw was interesting enough to to make it show worthy so let's see what you think so uh, former online poker pro james holzauer's incredible run as jeopardy champion has come to an end in a very fitting poker way most viewers were shocked that holzauer who was known for making big bets bet a paltry one thousand three hundred ninety nine dollars in his final final jeopardy final final jeopardy. <laughs> uh but he explained why in an interview with the action network he said quote i knew i could only win if emma missed final jeopardy as there's no way she wouldn't bet to cover my all-in bet so my only concern was getting overtaken by third place, and I bet just enough to make sure of locking him out. Betting big would have uh, would have looked good for the cameras, but now I turn my straight bet, which he re- means Emma missing, into a parlay. Emma missing, and I get it right. Yeah, it, it, it was clearly he was clearly thinking ahead, uh, like a poker player. Um, and he's right. I mean, if she screwed it up, and then he bets just enough to knock out the other guy, he won't lose because. You know, if he gets it wrong, he'll still win, and that's exactly what you have to do. You have to always think ahead, 
just like when you're playing poker, you know, okay, so you might call the bet now, but what about on the turn in the river? What are the bets going to be then? And can I afford that? And do I want to do that if I miss now? And you're always thinking ahead, like chess too. You're always thinking three or four moves ahead. So uh, this guy was really smart. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say about him other than, you know, he's got $2 million now that he didn't have, you know, three weeks ago or whatever. And it's just phenomenal. Yeah, I just I just think the, the the thought process there is I mean I don't think this is this part particularly was that complicated. The other stuff he did I think was more complicated right. for normal people. But uh, but uh, just the fact that, that this is the thought that you do that quickly very quickly as well too I think. But um, but I mean this is this is poker. I mean in, in a sense, right? I mean how many times in the hands of the week have we talked about when that's three handed that you got to be concerned about what the other the, the person to act after you is going to do and um so you have you have to make sometimes you have to make a bet to minimize that person to have a better chance of beating the other person in the hand right so yeah, yeah. and i think that was exactly what he did here so um it just didn't work out because um everybody got it right i think and um and his run ended um a lot earlier than we thought, I think. You know? Yeah, I never thought he was going to lose. I thought they were going to ca- – because I think there's a certain point they make him go off the show, right? I think that – Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think there is some rule written in where, okay, this is your last show no matter what you do. And um, But I really thought he was going to go to the end, whatever the end would be. And uh, I was shocked that he lost. Uh, I mean, I, I guess I'm happy he lost because I'm tired of it you know, coming up on my news feed every day. <laughs> um, but uh, congrats to him, man. Big big deal there. That's That's pretty impressive. And I haven't been watching the rest of the week, so I don't know whether whether Emma is still the champ. But uh, he did mention um, that that you know she was doing his exact style. So I mean, she could go on a run, you know. Yeah. Assuming she had lost him, I look like I needed saying this now, but uh, but yeah, she she beat him at his own game. Um, and uh, so it'd be interesting to see how many more players come up playing that style now. I think you almost are going to have to, right? It's like when Survivor changed. Yeah. You know, start looking for the idols and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's a different game now, and if you don't play it that way now, you have almost no chance of winning. So, and, and I wanted to ask you. It's so weird that you brought this up. Did Did you watch? Uh, have you seen the documentary called The Perfect Bid? Uh no, I don't think so. It's about the guy who literally figured out how to beat The Price Is Right. Oh, really? So what he did was. He started watching the show. He was enamored with the show, and he lived like in L.A. or near L.A. or whatever. He lived close enough where he could drive to the show. And so he would watch the show every day on TV, and he would realize that they would recycle the prizes. So, oh, like, really? so like, yeah, so he would know, like, oh, the Amana stovetop thing is $550 this week. Next week they bring it back, and it's 550 So this guy creates this huge spreadsheet. Of every single thing. He records every show and comes home at night, watches it, and then enters it all into the database and then memorizes it. So that if he ever gets on the show, he'll try to take it down. So he goes to the taping of the show and he doesn't get picked. But you can see him, like, you can hear his voice in the background shouting out bids because they tell everybody to shout out bids to help the people in the contestant row. And, like, you can hear him shouting the exact price. And, (laughs) And, like, people are, like, turning around eventually he starts going to the show regularly and people start to know this guy and they start, his name is Ted and they start turning around looking at him and he's giving them the right price. There was one show where he guessed every single price on the dot and they had like, you know when the bell goes off and they reach into you know his pocket for the hundred bucks and yeah, he. They had like every single person hit it on the nose, and something was going on. But they didn't care because it was great TV. They didn't care because they're the money sponsored. They're giving the money away. They're making millions. 
So finally the guy gets on the show. He actually gets called, and he, he crushes it, but then he loses at the wheel. He, he doesn't spin enough to get to the showcase show now. Uh, yeah. So then uh, once you make it on the show, you can never be on the show again. So you think his story's over. Well, when Drew takes over for Bob Barker, and then they have this thing, they introduce this thing where it says, hey, if it's been 10 years since you've been on the show, you can come back. Well, the guy continued to watch the show for 10 years and still did it, still like kept track of the spreadsheet. So he would go to the show every once in a while and just be a helper. He would scream out prices to people, right? <laughs> So he won two cars for one kid once, and it was it was remarkable. But anyway, I'm trying to make a long story short here. At the end, he gets to get on the show again, and then um, he does well. But he helps one guy hit the exact showcase showdown price, and he, he didn't want to do that. He wanted to be off so they wouldn't get suspicious. But he hit it to the dollar exactly. So he wins both showcases, and it's never happened in, like in the 50 years of the show, 35 years of the show. So then... That's when Drew gets interviewed by a bunch of people, and they decide, they figure out that it was this guy. They go through all of the tapes and everything, and they find out this guy has been there a million times. He had done like 30 tapings of the show. He had been there like 30 times over a decade. Wow. And so they change the, now they always change the, they're never going to bring the same prizes back. They're going to change the prizes so it could never happen again. And it's just like what you just said, how now they have to probably change Jeopardy, or they're going to have to do something. Because otherwise, someone's going to figure out how to beat it, and then it's going to keep having one winner. You know what I mean? They're going to keep doing. Well, this. yeah, but that's, I guess that's Emma. my point, though. Is if you come on, you gotta you gotta play the same style now. So you know, it's it, like Survivor changed. So you know, they necessarily had to change it. All the Survivor changes the game every season, right? But right. Um, but you know, you just the the style. If everybody's playing the same style, somebody's got to come up with a better style than that. So that's what's interesting about this. So if everybody starts playing Jeopardy this way. You know what's going to be the next um, creative solution to it? Uh, it just makes people better and better. Now, of course, on Jeopardy, you also have to know everything too. So, it doesn't matter how quick you are on the button or whether you're betting big or, or that. You still have to know the answer at the end of the day, and that's what's always made, most amazing to me about anybody who wins on Jeopardy. Because I feel like I'm a pretty smart guy, but I would be mowed down on Teen Jeopardy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think the next, the next big thing on Jeopardy is going to be the person who takes their time intentionally lets the clock go all the way down before they're about and then say their answer so that the people who are better than them can't get uh, enough questions get in right yeah. they can't get enough questions in to make enough money to beat them you know they'll be like uh, what is uh, the Indian poker cast yes you're <laughs> right Alan, you know but it, it, it is it, I just think that maybe Jeopardy might start to get tired of those types of ways of people winning and taking over the and they might change their game too you never know you never know yeah, that's what yeah, it all depends yeah. that's what Price is Right did they changed their game to stop but I'll tell you this I mean I totally game. forgot Jeopardy was even on and now we're talking about it that's so. true that is true these kind of stories every once in a while to keep it fresh in. that is true all right, well, there's this little World Series thing going on, Chris, right now. <laughs> I hear it's uh, the 50th one or something. <laughs> the 50th one. Uh, here are the highlights from the past week. Uh, the winner of event number three, the Big 50, won't be decided until tomorrow, but the rake-free event smashed a whole bunch of records. Total entries were 28,371, topping the 2015 Colossus, and a prize pool of more than $13.5 million, and more than $1 million going to the winner of that $500 buy-in event. 4,258 players will be paid. Uh, Nathan Haynes, a ARIA poker dealer, won event number one, the casino employees event, just days before he starts spo- supposed to start dealing the World Series of Poker. 
He says he won't deal the W stop now, but we'll keep dealing in Aria. Ben Heath of the United Kingdom, one event five, the $50,000 No Limit Hold'em High Roller for just shy of $1.5 million in an event that attracted 110 AB players. The first online bracelet of the series, event number seven, $400 No Limit Hold'em, went to Yang Quinn Kwan with Phil Helmuth finishing fifth. Oh. Alex Epstein is the first World Series short deck champion, prevailing in event number eight, $10,000 buy-in. Ooh, <coughs> and I'm going to die before I get through it. <laughs> it's been 12 years since Scott Clements last won a bra- bracelet, but the drought is over after he won event number 10, the $1,500 dealer's choice event, which allowed players to choose from 20 different games. Jeez. And a no-rake tournament to benefit Gavin Smith's children attracted 194 entries and raised $19,400. And a comedy show the next night added $24,240 to the hall. Today, poker players have donated $117,360 to help with the care of his two children who are living with family in Canada. All right, I'm going to shut up. You talk now. No, that's that's great. That's, uh, that's a wonderful story um, uh, after a tragic uh, <coughs> result. But uh, I don't know. I, I could have sworn Scott Clemens won a bracelet sooner than that. I, I can't believe it's been 12 years. It's like, yeah, back to how back, long? 2006 and 2007. Yeah. And then so that's crazy. I guess because he was at the time during the boom and everything, he was pretty popular, and we kept seeing him. And I guess maybe it just felt like, he, but he had won other things or whatever. But uh, I'm shocked by that. But I'm happy for him. Yeah, I don't um, know. Um, I I don't remember if the uh, the article mentioned, but I'd be curious now what, what the record is for the longest drought in between bracelets because that would be kind of interesting. It seems like we talked about that last year. I think maybe somebody won one after a long time last year too. But yeah, maybe. Um, I don't know what the record is, but uh, but that's pretty cool. I mean, uh, this day and age to win a poker bracelet for the first time in 12 years. I mean, think of how much the game has changed in 12 years. You know, yeah. I mean, doing this show for what 15 now? About 15, yeah. And uh, poker has changed dramatically in those 15 years. <laughs> so, um, so to be able, so the the fact that you can come back and win one later on shows you, you know, you've adjusted what you need to do. You know, as we said earlier with the Jeopardy and Survivor, and Price is Right, right? You just yeah. need to adjust as it changes. So, um, uh, I love that the first short deck event was a ten thousand dollar buy-in. <laughs> like, geez, pretty soon that Casino War is gonna be a World Series event and people are gonna walk down ten thousand for it. Uh, and Helmuth uh, Helmuth's playing online just shows you he can win every way you want him to try to win. He can do win or do well at. It's crazy. Grinding a bracelet however he can get one, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> pretty cool. Um and then wow, can you imagine hundred one point five million in an event that only had hundred and ten players? Uh, but that's just it's astronomical when you I guess you're plucking down fifty thousand dollars that prize pools can get that big, but it makes sense. So And of course the big thing, I mean the five hundred dollar event yeah. with, with no rake and they're gonna the person for paid up five hundred bucks is gonna win a million. That's just yeah. insane. Insane. Almost thirty thousand people in one tournament. I mean, how do they? How do they even plan for that? How do they have that many tables and dealers? And- well, it's interesting when they they sent out a like a fact sheet on it that showed uh, the number of chips, the actual chips in play, not the value of the chips. Right? Um, I think it was something like eight hundred thousand or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the number of dealers that were working, the number of tables. Um, it was really truly fascinating. Um, and I think the unique entries for that were somewhere around fourteen to eighteen thousand. I think there was like ten thousand, ten or eleven thousand reentries. Reentries, yeah. Still, oh, that's so still. Yeah, you had a, at least fourteen thousand people, um, actual different live people, 
uh, enter this event. So pretty think, amazing. Think about the person who who said, "Hey, let's allow re-entry," and then someone was like, "What? What's that?" <laughs> now look how smart it looks like. There's twenty eight thousand people under this tournament. You know, I mean, it's crazy. It's just it's crazy. But they're they're generating in this case not, but I mean, they generate rake for their casino with that invention. They generate bigger prize pools make people happy they get people who got knocked out and are pissed off to be able to enter again so they're happy i mean it's like the big the the big blind andy now i mean they're just people just keep figuring out how to make this sport better and then i'm i'm always impressed by it so that's huge almost thirty thousand entries that's crazy yeah the other stat i'd like to see and i'm pretty sure it wasn't on the uh, the numbers they sent us was uh, uh who bought the most entries you know, yeah. of, of those 10, 10 11,000 re-entries, I mean, it wasn't 10 or 11,000 people. It was probably a number way less than that. Um, I mean, I, I I guess we could we could wager on it, but I would imagine the over-under. I mean, I, I don't know if they capped it, though, on re-entries. I mean, how many times you could re-enter. But if they didn't, I would imagine there's somebody in for 10, 11 volts in this thing. Oh, probably. yeah, because the guys peel off five grand while I've been thinking about it, so... You know, what I mean, there are guys who do rebuys and ten thousand dollar events if they would. You know, so. yeah. I guess it just depends on the structure and how they how they are allowed to do it. You yeah. know, but yeah. uh, would be surprised. I mean, five hundred bucks is nothing to most of these players. So, and uh, it's a very affordable buy-in for most poker players. I'm like, I mean, I don't care where you are on the poker spectrum. I mean, you could probably scrape together five hundred to enter a World Series event this big. So that's probably why that number was so huge. I would so. love to see the winner be just a five hundred dollar entry, just one yeah. entry. One entry that the one and done. this whole bank roll into it. Yeah, just the, like, the run of life, right? Or he's like, life. I was I was recycling cans to get this buy-in, <laughs> and I wanted to make it work, and now I'm a millionaire. All right, any updates? Here's where the Annie Up Poker Tour is going next: the Annie Up World Championship and Annie Up NorCal Classic at Thunder Valley Casino Resort near Sacramento, California, July 6th to the 28th. Atlantis Casino Resort and Spa in Reno, Nevada, August 15th to the 25th. Hummel Casino near San Diego, September 20th to the 29th, and Wild Horse Pass Hotel and Casino near Phoenix, November 11th to the 16th. Also, if you'd like to be one of our monthly magazine contributors and represent Antioch in your home area, please do. Uh, apply at antiochmagazine.com slash ambassadors. We have immediate openings in the Pacific Northwest and Michigan. And I will say, um, I had somebody ask me this week. They they thought they had a friend that might do it, but they said, uh, you know, he's not a good writer. And I'm like, you know what? Chris is a fantastic editor. He's a great writer. He can turn whatever they send in into something. But what we really need is outgoing people that that are going to be able to get Chris the information. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so that that's the number one um, thing we're looking for is somebody that just can can get the information and hopefully has that personality that gets people talking and talking to poker managers. Um, and if you write like crap, don't worry about it. Well, Chris will make you better. But, yeah, that's so. my job. Each week, we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at com. And if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. This week's prize is a setup of J Design playing cards, the official playing cards of any up poker cruises, available at classicplayingcards.com. All right, so I need a little help with this one, too. I, I, I even read the email and wanted to reply to Don. It's Don Swain, but I thought we should just do it out, hash it out on the show here because some of it's confusing to me, but uh, I well, feel like I have... You say that because I did give him a response, but I'm like, I'm going to be really interested to talk about this on the show. Okay, so. good. So our show is going to be like three hours long today, I think, but uh, it's, 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 it's needing of it because I, I don't know. So he says, all right, this is Don Swain. He says, I play in a monthly home game with a season-long tournament and points format. 
My question is, playing for points and a chance at a final table versus playing for the monthly win. I find myself making laydowns pre-flop with top hands, sometimes, not always, depending on my standing in the game. It is an ICM-like conundrum, independent chip model, that's what that means, uh, of making the right play versus risking or uh, no or less points for the monthly game. Here's the summary. 15 to 20 players, a one-time fee of 100 Skittles, which is held for the final table game uh, in month 11. Months 1 through 10 is a 20 Skittle entry, turbo, which means 20-minute levels, which to me, <laughs> that's not <Yeah>. a turbo. <laughs> that's not a turbo at all. That's like a long tournament in one of our local casinos. Um, with the top four payouts of about 160, 80, 40, and 20. Monthly points for top 10 finishes are 100 through 10 points, first through 10. After 10 months, the top eight point totals play at the final table, which pays top four, about 900, 500, 200, 100. Very interesting. Uh, so I'm assuming you pay the 100 up front, and then every month when you play a tournament, you pay 20 that month. So Correct. yes, that makes sense to me. I uh, would like to say that I am always going to try to win when I'm playing. If, if I'm playing a game that goes against my most comfortable way of playing, then I'm not going to succeed, and I'm just going to blow both opportunities, I think. I think that as long as I'm trying to win the tournament and I'm doing well in this tournament, I'm going to try to win it. And I'm going to try to play my best and not let let the other stuff come from my successes through months one through ten. I can't make laydowns because I might not get points for that final. Let's face it, there's 15 to 20 players. There's probably nine or I guess it's top eight. So he has an eight final table. So you already have a one in two shot of making enough points, maybe almost one in three, one in two and a half shot of just making the final table because there's so many people going to be able to qualify for this. So why not just play your game? And then if it looks like you're in a situation where you know you can't win, but you might squeak into some points, then you might alter it that way, like you would with any other tournament where, let's say it's a super satellite, you're trying to squeak in for a seat, or you know you don't want to play ace-ace when you don't have to because you know you're going to get points in five minutes. There, there's a difference. But to me, I'm always going to play my best game no matter what, and then let the cards fall where they may, pardon the, the pun. <laughs> yeah, I think generally that was my suggestion too. Um, is to play to win uh, every week. Uh, probably the only adjustment I would make in the early ones are because there's only 15 to 20 players and 10 players get points. That uh, that it maybe you're a little bit more cautious until you get to that final table, which shouldn't take very long in this format. Um, but even that, I wouldn't necessarily make that part of my strategy. I would I'd make it a consideration in the back of my mind um, on borderline all-ins kind of things, you know, or 50-50 maybe. But other than that, I mean, if you look at the structure of this, I, I don't know why until maybe the end, like you're getting down to months 8 and 9 and 10, right, where – now you may not make it to the final table, which or the final tournament, which is pretty lucrative. You know, eight players and four of them get paid, um, and your minimum is your 
your minimum cash or your one-time entry fee. So, and the fact that you probably got enough points to make it there means you probably made a month enough during the months that you paid that, right? So, so maybe in those last couple uh, weeks, now you're you're playing to be sure that you make the final one. But the first couple weeks, uh, the first seven weeks at least, probably um, I'm playing to win because you know. So if you win one month, that's 160 bucks, right? Yeah. So that right there, you've covered your one-time fee. You've covered three months of playing just by winning that one tournament. So even if you end up not making the final table, uh, uh, the final tournament and playing, um, you're well on your way to free rolling almost on this uh, going forward. So and if you win two of these, you're guaranteed to be in the end. Um, there's I don't think there's any way anybody um, that gets 200 points doesn't make it in the end. I, I, Right, it's almost right, impossible. Right, given the amount of you know, people there are, and everything. Right. Yeah, unless five people uh, win two events each, <laughs> then you're all tied. Um, then that would be the only scenario, which I guess could happen, but kind of rare. So, so really, yeah, you should be playing for that that big payout every um, every month, I think, or even uh, at least trying to play the cash at this point because there's only four cashers. Uh, you cash, you get your money back, and you probably make. You know, I don't know what the breakdown of the points are, but I assume it's ten points for every spot so you know that'd be what uh 60 points maybe if you min cash um which is probably you min cash every week you're gonna make that final one so um but you know if it's 20 players and top four i mean you got to be kind of you gotta be playing your best game you gotta be chipping up so you can get there um and get that so yeah once and once you you make the cautious and and finish fourth out of 20 players i don't think once you make the points from the monthlies once you make the points it's just like once you make the money everyone starts to loosen up and then you just play your game anyway i would never make laydowns at that point which i don't know if that's what he was doing i think he he says i find myself making laydowns pre-flop with top hands depending on my standing in the game so I'm assuming he's thinking, like, I might want to get into the points at this point. He's not already in the top 10 out of the 15 and 20 players. Um, but I, I would I would absolutely just treat this uh, like any other, hey, I'm showing up to somebody's home game, and there's 15 players today, so that means there's eight at one table and seven at the other. All I got to do is beat five guys, and I'm getting points, so I'm going to play my game normally, and if I'm good enough, I shouldn't make it to you know 10th place out of 15 people. So just play your game. I, I wouldn't. Make, I'm not making big laydowns for something that's going to happen ten months from now. I also don't agree with them only paying four spots with eight people at the end. I mean, you, you've busted your hump for a year to make this table, and now you still might not make money. That I mean, on that, that's kind of weird. I mean, you conceivably could make no money the whole year. You could finish in fifth uh, ten times. <laughs> and make enough points to get there and then finish fifth the 11th time and still not make money. I mean, at least give me a, a bone or something for making the... Yeah, I guess maybe. I, that doesn't bother me as much as it bothers you. But um, I'm just saying, yeah, take 100 I, I imagine you're going to make some money on the way. But, um, you know, a couple of things. I mean, one, think back to our Jeopardy discussion here, right? So the other reason I would play really aggressive and try to, to win a couple up front is now... Let's say by month four, you've won two events, all right? So you've got 320 bucks, itch, totally free rolling. You're, you're, you've punched your ticket to the final table. Now now you can swing a big bat. This is what we're talking about. So, like, you know, that whole tower, once you get enough dollars on Jeopardy, then he could, like, bet big and then really pull away from the field, right? Right. So now at that point, now if you've, you've punched your ticket to the final early, now you can really put the pressure on people because at that point everybody else is now – 
not just worrying about playing poker, but they're worried about making that final table. Um, and that makes it easier for you to win more money uh, going forward because they're playing scared. Um, like a big stack. Not as confident. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I guess that's the last thing I would say, too, is, you know, it's good that uh, Don is trying to sort this out in his mind and asking for help with it. But a lot of this depends on how the other 14 to 19 players are perceiving this too, right? I mean, there are probably a good number of those players that don't really care about the points and all that are going to do what we just said and just play your best game and it should work out, right? Right. But there might be some in there that really overthink this and um, alter their game in ways that you could exploit. Um, you know, if you if you really know somebody's, their only concern is cashing every week, uh, they're going to be a little bit more cautious and you might be able to bluff them off some hands. Um, because they're they're holding on to the chips a little too hard, right? So, you know, there there is an element to this that that, that goes beyond poker. That um, if you figure out how everybody else is playing, that you can use that to your advantage in the poker part of it. So, well, I think that uh, I think we've offered some pretty good advice here. Uh, I mean, I, I I don't think that uh, that he should do anything differently than what makes him a successful poker player already. And then just let the let the things happen into place the way he wants them to happen, and I think he'll make the final, the final eight, whatever you call it. So, um, where I think we often give horrible advice is O'Malley's move, <laughs> which uh, is coming up right now, and we'll get to find out what his move is too with part two. So here's part one first, and then we'll let's see on the other side. Welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we're playing $2, $5, No Limit Hold'em at our regular casino. The action has been pretty crazy, with a standard pre-flop raise of 10x, which is slightly unusual for this game. There are two stacks with over 2,500, but the average stack is right around 1,000. We've had a good night and sit with about 1,800. The blinds post, and it's folded to us in an early MP with the Ace of Clubs, Queen of Clubs. We make the table standard raise to $50 and get two callers, one from the hijack, who is one of the players with 2500 and the big blind, who sits with 600 The hijack seems to be a solid player, but has shown one complete air bluff. Of the four other hands he's shown down, three were hands that won him huge pots, and one was a loss that he got sucked out on. There's 150 in the pot, and the flop is the queen of hearts, queen of diamonds, nine of hearts. This is a really amazing flop, and after the big blind checks, we make it 100 to go. The hijack min-raises us to 200, and the big blind folds. I can't imagine we're behind too many hands here, so I think it's value time right now. We make it 600 to go, leaving us with 1150 behind. After some thought, the hijack calls. There's 1350 in the pot, and the turn is the four of hearts. I'll admit, I got lost here. I have 11.50 remaining, and I have no idea where my opponent is. I know it's way too late for pot control, but we check. I'm really not sure if I'm hoping to induce a bluff, or if I'm checking to shove after a smaller bet, I'm just checking. Our opponent wastes little time in shoving. So, it's our remaining stack to call. What's the move? All right, this is a smart shove on our opponent's part because, as O'Malley noted, uh, we're a little lost here. Uh, our check might have been the green light our opponent needed to steal this pot. I don't think there's much upside for our opponent to shove here with a flush, uh, so I think I'm only truly worried about pocket nines. So uh, I think I have to make this call. 
Yeah, absolute call. Uh, I mean, it, it could be a case queen, but we have the best kicker. So even if we're wrong, I think we have outs. Uh, so I'm calling too. Let's see what O'Malley does. Hello again. Does he really shove a flush or a full house? Really? I guess our stack is to the point that it's not an inappropriate amount. Maybe I'm wrong. But I feel like he'd be trying to get value here, and he'd bet a lower amount to induce a call or a check raise. Could it be like a king-queen? Queen-nine? Some other random queen? I thought about this for a long time and just couldn't fold. Maybe this was a bad call, but we make it. Our opponent sighs and says those wonderful words. Nice call. He tables the jack of spades, ten of spades, and after a blank on the river, we scoop a huge pot and are now the chip leader. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying, even when you win a massive pot, it's not fun playing poker confused. I hope to see you on the felt. Uh, yep, I gotta say our opponent showed one of the biggest weaknesses new or experienced players show uh, the big bet meant to scare an opponent, but that one that doesn't make sense by what the opponent should be scared about, so... You know, I mean, if I shove here, then they're going to think I have the flush in their fold. Well, no, because if you had the flush there, there'd be no reason for you to shove. So just cost yourself a lot of chips by making that move. Yeah, I mean, I assume the river was a blank. I I, I don't know what the blank, what the river did, but um, I, I also uh, think that this was a semi-bluff that missed. You know, I mean, so I don't necessarily fault the way the villain played, but I guess it could have been played better. I mean, it was a semi-bluff, so... Yeah, that's true. I mean, but, you could play with a strip. Yeah, straight, but yep. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I'm always happy when O'Malley wins, because I don't keep doing this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's time for the advancedpokertrain.com hand of the week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antietmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Uh, Michael Cantor back in the house, Chris. Yay! And, uh, all right, he's up at the MGM National Harbor, out right outside our nation's capital. Uh, he's playing in the nightly $230 tournament, and uh, he said he had this hand very early in the tournament. Uh, blinds are 100-100 with a 100 big blind ante. That's certainly easy to remember, but I know there's probably still 14 people at the table going, where are the blinds? <laughs> That's a weird 100-100-100. Do you think it <laughs> like, – what is that? Maybe it's 100-200 and he just typo maybe? Uh, I mean, it could be like the first round, you know, they start a little bit – I mean, it, I've always thought that uh, some room should do this. I mean, one, if you, if you start the blinds at 100 100 <laughs> the 100-ante, uh, you don't have to put uh, quarter chips on the table, right? So yeah, that's yeah. Cup you have to do, and um, uh, so you know. And, and again, it, 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 smart players know that uh, it doesn't matter how many chips you start with or how many with the blind, uh, what you're starting the blind levels are. It's just a matter of the rest of the structure, right? So yeah. you can have a really decent tournament that starts with 100, 100 if you have a deep stack and you know decent minutes so there there's something to be said for it so particularly in the, in this age of uh chip uh inflation you know where now you've got to start with 50,000 chips or people walk out even if it's a 20 dollar tournament right so right. all right here, here you go here's 100,000 chips knock yourself out we're starting blinds at 1,000 2,000 so <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyhow all right he says it's about the fifth hand um so uh we're all around the starting stacks of 35k see that's what i'm saying you started with 35k so i mean why wouldn't you start it yeah 100 yeah so. okay uh and michael says he uh doesn't know anything about the players all right uh under the gun plus one uh raises to 300 and it's folded around to us in the cutoff with the queen of diamonds 10 of diamonds 
Eh, I don't know. Here's the deal. First of all, it's not a great hand. Uh, it's not even really a very good hand. My former favorite hand is yes. not a great hand. Yes, and that's why it's your former favorite because you grew up and became a man. Um, and then my new favorite hand became Jack Ten. And I've lost more money for that. <laughs> <one>. <laughs> and that's so unoriginal. Everyone's favorite hand is Jack Ten. Um, here's the deal: you still have someone behind you left to act. Not to mention the blinds. Somebody pretty early made it 300. So I don't know if I'm even playing this hand. Uh, if I've got no feel for the table, all the more reason why to just fold and watch people play for a little bit and get you know a little baseline on them. Uh, but if you're going to play it, I guess a call. I I, w- I don't know if I want to. I don't want to three bet somebody who's under the gun plus one making the 300 early in a tournament. This guy could now just make it three grand, and I've wasted. 900 or a thousand for no reason so i guess i would just call if i'm going to play the hand um i may just fold it and i wouldn't fault anyone for folding it and i don't think that's being a nit we're talking about somebody who's supposed to have something like ace queen right now or ace king or kings or queens or jacks or tens and you know we're with queen 10 which is a one gapper yeah it's suited but that doesn't mean anything. And if you do hit, like, say, two pair, now you're like, okay, I hit my two pair, but that still doesn't mean you're good because somebody could be set mining for a set. Somebody could now be open-ended for a straight draw, and then you're going to lose a lot of your chips when you go to the mat with two pair, and this guy's made Broadway because he raised with ace-king and hit the jack, or he has, you know, jack-king, king-jack. Who knows this guy has? We don't know how he plays yet. So... I don't know. It's troubling. It's trap hand. So I am inclined this early in a tournament to probably call just because I, I'm hoping that I can see flops for these kinds of, of uh, smallish raises at this this point. But at the same time, I'm going to want to really crush it if I hit. I'm really hoping for the flush or Broadway and not the two pair thing. I don't know. But anyway, I wouldn't fault you for folding. Yeah, so uh, I would say later in a tournament, I'm folding this all day long through a, a under the gun plus one raise. I mean, it's just such a trap hand at that point. Yeah. Um, even with a decent position, that uh, it's uh, my my instinct is to fold here. But um, one of the things I like about calling here, it's one of the reasons I, I might talk myself into calling here is one, we're really deep here, right? We're five hands into this tournament, thirty five thousand. It's three hundred to call. Um, it's a hand that could flop big and early in the tournament, you know, you want to win those big hands and build up that stack. So when the, the blinds start getting higher and people get start getting squeezed, you're more comfortable, right? So, you know, well, these are the type of hands that you should probably take a flyer on, uh, when it's not costing you much in the percentage of your overall stack. Um, just be sure you play it well after that, because you also don't want to lose a lot of your stack, uh, this early on. So, um, I, I could see myself calling here with this, um, you know, again, folding, you know, it's not, not the worst thing in the world, um, uh, cause it is a hand that could get you in trouble. Um, 
And the other reason I kind of like calling here is because I, I sort of want to get a feel for the players early when it's cheap enough for me to get a feel for it. Now, of yeah. course, if it's old, you can still watch and, and get some of that information. But I, I think most players, you get better information by actually being in the hand and having to think about what you would do with that case and watching somebody react to you, right? So so you almost consider this spring training or uh, the NFL preseason here, <laughs> these early, early hands here. You know, if you get in and um, you get tackled, all right, it's great. You know, now you learn to juke the other way, right? <laughs> or the guy gets the curveball by you, then you learn to you hit it the next time. So um, I, I think it's probably worth uh, playing a couple hands like this early on just to, to get a feel for the players. So um, so I'm going to call here. Um, later in the tournament, probably going to fold here. Um, uh, one quick I thing. Ra- I think raising is probably the worst option. I yeah, I don't, I don't agree with raising at all. I, I, one thing I want to say, too, is we have a lot of pedantic listeners, and I want to make sure that they understand that uh, – you you said five handed. What you meant was the fifth hand of the tournament. Oh, so yeah, yeah. I don't want them to think, hey, it's a five, why why wouldn't you have done this? Because it's only five handed. So I want to make sure it's an actual regular yeah. tournament. And um, um, but yeah, I I and I agree too. I I had said that as well about the good a good reason to limp is to uh, learn about how these players are playing this early on. If you can get away with that, not limp, but the call on the three hundred. If you can get away with just a three hundred dollar call or three hundred unit call, whatever. You can get to see how these people are playing when they raise under the gun and and whatever. At the same time, I mean, if you fold, you're going to get to see how they play too if somebody else calls. But you know, you're you're getting mixed in now, and they'll see how you play, and you can set up an image that you want to change later on. So there's reasons to call. It's just you could literally call and then waste that money because someone behind you is going to re-raise to squeeze, and then now you're screwed with queen ten. So there, I, I can see both scenarios and not fault either one, calling or folding, I, and I would not raise here ever. Yeah, the raising, I think you're just kind of poking the bear for no reason early on. I mean, and later in the tournament, there might be a, a good reason for you to raise with this hand and, and try to take control and, and put some doubt, but you know, now it's so early. I mean, any raise, you're probably going to get called, so you're not, you're not, you're not going to steal this guy's 300 by a raise here. Um, and then, then you're just going to have to outplay him on, on the the rest of the hand because, you know, the chances are very high that he's got a better hand than you right now. And you're right. It could be an ace-queen, too, which means it's a, even a, a tragically better hand. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Or even aces and kings. So, I mean, only three or queens. So... You or ten, so there we go. So you get a lot of hands this guy can have <laughs> that, that are going to be really hard for you to beat. So, uh, all right. So uh, our hero calls. Uh, the pot is nine hundred dollars. Uh, flop is the queen of clubs, ten of clubs, six of hearts, and the villain bets six hundred. Hmm. All right. So at this point, I'm not really sure. I would. I guess I would have to really get a feel of. Of what I think this guy has, do I really think this guy is strong, and does he have an overpair? Because I would consider raising. If I think the guy's just doing a C bet because I think he missed it, um, and you, sometimes you get that feeling. You just know you can watch the way they bet, the way they automatically grab chips. So you know whatever. There's a there's a feeling you'll get by playing the player in this situation. And if you feel like that's the way, then you might call because you you think that you. You know, you can afford to let this guy hit his ace now because you've got top two or something like that. Um, I, I I don't like slow playing very often in poker uh, unless I'm absolutely positive that I have a lock on the hand and this person's going to bet. The reason being, in this case, let, let's say he has kings and we have queen 10 and we have queens and 10s. 
you slow play and the turn is a six, now you've counterfeited yourself and you're going to have to hit a queen or a ten on the river. The other thing is that the guy could have clubs and now you slow played and then letting him hit his club at his price. The guy could have ace-king and a jack. So, so there are a lot of things that your slow play can burn you on. So in this case, I would have to really get a feel for what I think this guy has by the way he bet, by the way he's acting, by the way his mannerisms, anything. If there's some some sort of shred of evidence that I think he has an overpair, I might now push it because he won't be able to get away from it for at least a decent amount of money, and you might get a good chunk of change out of this hand. Um, but also you're setting the price for him to have to hit that six or uh, another king on the end or whatever. So for me, um, I'm always pretty aggressive with my made hands. And if I can gauge that you have the second best hand, I'm really going to punish you. So uh, that's what I'm looking for. Um, so I guess it really just depends on how we bet. I don't know if I can commit to anything, but I think I'm raising. So I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned slow play because I'm going to go ahead and spoil a little bit here and say our hero does uh, call here, uh, saying, assuming I'll slow play. Oh, okay. Uh, and I, I just kind of cringed when I saw that because um, you made a lot of a lot of good points uh, about uh, how how easily it is for this hand to get uh, counterfeited going forward. Um, the other thing I'll say too, though, is you know think about the range of hands that you have under the gun plus one. Now, I mean, people play all kinds of different stuff, right? But theory. Theoretically, you're looking at aces, kings, queens, jacks, tens, um, some combination Broadway cards, right? Um, and so some of those hands we have crushed now, and they don't know it, right? So right. if they have aces or kings, uh, they think they're probably still pretty good here. Um, and we've got two pair. Um, same with jacks, I mean. Um, now, if they had queens or tens, then we're in trouble here. Um, so either way, a raise is going to let us figure out what we got here um i think um so you know if we raise here and and get called then then i feel a little bit better that uh, they're a little worried about our hand now so uh, i've picked up some more chips from them if we raise and they fold that's great i mean think about that we've just picked up 1500 bucks with a uh, queen 10 yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah on the hand of the tournament so that's not bad um, and if we raise and get re-raised now, that's probably, uh, I mean, it may not necessarily mean that we're beat, but it, it helps narrow down a little bit as well too. So, um, slow playing, I think here, I just, there's so many cards that are going to come off on that turn that are, are going to make a pit in my stomach. And so I, I, I don't, I, I generally don't like slow playing at all. Anyhow, really. Um, but I particularly don't like slow, slow playing with, uh, top two. So, uh, you bet six hundred. I'm going to raise to two thousand. If I take it down, I'm happy. If he calls, I'm happy. If he raises, I'm not happy. But um, if he raises, yeah. I think I'm happy too because I really don't think I'm behind a set. I really think that if he had sixes, he doesn't raise preflop. If he has queens, I mean, it's the case queen, and I'm probably going to go broke. I just, I, I feel like even if he raises, I think I'm happy. I may even come over the top again. I, I feel like if he does that, he's got aces or kings, and he's not doing it with queens, tens, or sixes. I, I really feel like we're good there. Um, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but I just yeah, I want to react yeah. to that. And I, the other thing too is, you know, imagine if the six of clubs came on the turn, which would make Scott's stomach just come right out of his mouth. I think. Yeah, think of how many hands that hits now. Yeah. yeah. That so so yeah, so you really got to put the hammer down now while you can. So I'm I'm with you. He bet six hundred, and I you bet two grand. I agree with that bet. So. Yeah. 
All right. Well, as I said, our hero called uh, slow playing. Uh, the turn is the deuce of hearts. So the board now is queen of clubs, ten of clubs, six of hearts, uh, six of hearts, deuce of hearts. Doesn't really change too much. Um, and the villain bets fifteen hundred. Okay. Well, I think we're done walking the dog here. I mean, I, I think that this guy's taking another stab at it. So he very likely could have something like aces or kings, and another draw got there. Another flush draw. I mean, arose now. So now we have two flush draws possible. We have Broadway still possible, and we're still letting this guy dictate the action. At some point, I mean, there's a whole reason for playing, taking the the the, the um, well, you didn't take the lead, but calling the bet and the cutoff in the first place is so that you'll have control of the hand, and we haven't controlled the hand at all. I think now we really have to put the hammer down and make it like five grand, and we're gonna find out if this guy's got kings or aces. We're gonna find out uh, if he's got a flush draw. He's gonna let it go. Um, and if he doesn't let it go, then you're going to be, you know, that much more, uh, better off for it. I, I, I think you got to put the hammer down now and make it like five grand. Yeah, that's exactly the same bet that I was going to say. I mean, you got to, I mean, one, we didn't raise last time, so now we, we got to kind of make up for it. Um, I mean, you could almost see a, even a slightly bigger raise, but I think 5,000 is perfect here and, um, figure out what's going on. So. Um, all right. Well, we raised to three thousand, and our opponent calls. I don't like that raise. That's not enough. If this guy is drawing now, he's got all these reasons to call. Plus, I mean, again, now if he does have say pocket aces, you've given him a min raise to call to try to hit a six or a deuce or an ace, and I just it doesn't seem like it's big enough to scare him away, uh, especially if he's drawing. You know, I mean. If you made it five grand, he's really going to have to make a mistake to call. Now, it's not really that much of a mistake, especially yeah. if you're willing to, to put money in the middle. If you if he thinks you have a really big hand and he makes his flush on the end, and he thinks she's going to get paid off. So, plus, if he makes some sort of outlandish bet when a club or a heart lands, now it's going to be like up to you to make the decision of whether or not he hit his hand or not. I want to get this guy out of the pot. I want to bet him off of it. I don't want him staying in now. So, that's just me. Yeah, I could be wrong. Yeah, no, we talk a lot about uh, push and pull, right? Whether you want to push somebody out of a pot or pull them into a pot. So a min-raise is a classic pull them into the pot, right? Right. Almost no one's going to fold for a min-raise ever unless they are, like, on smoke, on total air, right? Right. <laughs> they might fold here, but uh, even total air, I don't know whether you fold to a min-raise. So, so you're essentially telling your opponent, I want you in this pot. And I'm sitting here and like, don't go in. <laughs> it, right? <laughs> Um, so, you know, we've invited them to stay in this hand when there's so much danger that can come on this river. So much danger now. Uh, we really needed to push him out. And I'm not necessarily trying to push him out, but, you know, he can stick around in this hand if he wants, but he's going to have to pay me a lot of money to do it. So, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to give him a push him out raise. And, uh, if he, if he lays down perfect, that's what I wanted. If he calls and that's fine too. He's paying a big price to stay in my pot. So, uh, three thousand just isn't it. So that's why I said I was even maybe thinking even more than the five thousand, but it has to be at least five thousand, I think. Right. Because you know? that that's really good. Five thousand is going to make I think three thousand. He's like, okay, whatever. It's like a gnat bit him. Right? Yeah, <laughs> okay, especially well, with thirty five grand to start. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So another fifteen hundred. Yeah, sure. Here you go. So, <laughs> uh, and he clearly has something at this point. I mean, I don't know what it is, but you know. You don't keep up the the aggression on the turn when when you've missed and your opponent calls, right? So, right, right. Um, let, let, let's find out what he has here. Let's make him pay to, to stay in his hands. So. All right. 
River is the uh, king of hearts, so our final board is uh, queen of clubs, ten of clubs, six of hearts, deuce of hearts, king of hearts, all kinds of trouble gets there. But the villain checks, Chris. Oh, yes. I'm checking behind. I am yeah, happy to check. Stand up and shake his hand and thank him for checking. <laughs> I am so happy to check. Let's revisit this real quick. If he had ace queen of hearts, he hits his flop, he bets it, we just call, giving him the turn for basically his price. The deuce of hearts gets there. Now he's got a flush draw, top pair, top kicker. He bets what he wants. You min raise him, so now he's not even worried that, hey, I got top pair, top kicker, and I got a nut flush draw. I'll gladly call 1500 Boom, king gets there. Let's start over. Okay, so he started with kings because that's what under the gun plus one would raise in a tournament with. He had uh, over pair, so he bets. You just call because you didn't give him any reason to not. He hits the two of hearts, so the two of hearts doesn't really matter because he's still got an overbear. He bets you min-raise. He doesn't really believe you, but at the same time, he's like, I'm not going to push it because this guy, you know, this guy might have a hand, so I only have kings. I mean, he does have two pairs. Let me just call and see what the river is. Bingo, bango, bongo. Ricky tiki tavi He's now made a set of kings, and now he's convinced that you're going to want to bet because you raised him on the last street. So now he checks to you, hoping you bet, and then he'll raise you. You need to check behind. Yeah, I mean, this is the biggest gift I've ever been given in a hand, so I'll be flagging down that cocktail waitress. Even if it was at a casino, you have to pay for the drinks. I'm buying a drink for this guy because uh, this is the best scenario. I mean, the worst card in the deck comes off, and uh, he checks to us. I'll wrap the table and hope my two-pair holds up, and, and if it doesn't, at least I didn't lose any more money on his hand. So the, uh, the only way we're ahead is if this guy had ace-king of clubs. And then he hit his king, and now he's happy. And you know what I mean? Right, it's the only way we're going to get money out of him, too. So you're only going to get called or raised by a better hand here, so you might as well check. All right, here it says I have two pair, and I'm ready to check back. But no, no buts. No, no buts. No buts. But I'm not convinced he has anything, and I want to be aggressive, so I bet 4000 Our opponent thinks for a few seconds and raises to 15000 Oh, no. Oh, man. Please fold. <laughs> yeah, now we're talking more than half our stack in this hand on Queen 10 on the fifth hand of the tournament. Um, you know, I, you know, maybe maybe he's being really bold here and going with the check raise that pushes off the hand, and uh, that's great, but uh, the chances of that are, are much less than um, him having a hand that has his beat here, so... We poke the bear, and, and uh, the, the sign's clear at the uh, zoo. Don't poke the bear. Yes, it's clear. Don't feed the animals. <laughs> and you, you poked them here, and now you just cost yourself, uh, what, seven, uh, almost uh, 8000 Yep, yep. That's Big not chunk good. of your stack there. That's not good. Don't do it. No butts. No butts. No butts or coconuts. Uh, so, yeah, let's think about it real quick again. So, ace, queen of hearts could have gotten there. King, king could have gotten there. Pocket queens had us beat the whole time. Pocket tens had us beat the whole time. E, we're just uh, we're screwed. King, nine of hearts could have gotten there. So, I don't know. He has king of hearts. And then, so, um, I, I just think that so many hands, even pocket sixes, you know, had us beat, even though I don't think that's what he has. But, uh yeah, I would lick my wounds and move on and take my 27000 I have left or whatever it is and still have plenty of play in the tournament. Um, but, yeah, this is this is a good PSA for uh, 
why not to play queen 10 and why not to slow play it when we hit it i think um yeah i mean there's there's nothing good that's going to come out of this because if we call i can't imagine we're going to win um so we need to fold here and the fold is going to hurt right because we just we chunked a lot of money into this pot and we know we are probably um we got into this hand really light to begin with right and this is why you don't do it necessarily because oh yeah it's only 300 but then now you know, after the hand's over you're like oh my gosh it was 7,000 yeah <laughs> 300 yeah and that's going to mess your psyche for the rest of the tournament and we're only five hands in right so um i think that's why the bet on the river was just tragic uh and you know think about it, if you didn't do that now you're going to see the river you might win um but you bet now as as we've said time and time again you're, you're only going to get called here by the better hand you know four thousand in this pot now you know i don't think you're going to get those single pairs to call so the fact that he raised here could be bluffing of course but uh that's that's a big bluff there um now if it is a bluff that is the bluff to make right because we have to have this hand pretty solid to to call another eleven thousand on top of it, but um, so I mean I think we we have to fold here, and now we're we're never going to know what this guy had, and that's just going to mess with us. On top of the fact that we lost seven thousand bucks, yeah, 7, it's actually eight thousand because it was three hundred yeah, to start and then yeah. six hundred. Yeah. So yeah, so you you just gave away eight thousand chips on queen ten, and you could have easily settled for four thousand, and seen what this guy raises under the gun with under the gun plus one you would have seen what kind of hand he play, had you can see how he plays those hands you can find out why he called with a min with your min raise I mean there are so many things that you could have learned so much information and you chose to just get greedy uh, he, he said it was aggressive but I think it was greedy I, I don't think that's aggressive yeah, that's right yeah they're not the same yep and hey, let's go back to what we said at the beginning too. And one of the reasons that we justified a call with this hand was to see how a player played, right? Right. Now we're in a scenario where we're folding, and we have no idea what he had. So we know what he's going to bet. We know he's willing to check raise on the river. We know some of those things that are in his arsenal, but we don't know what he had. So, um, so one of the reasons, the big reason that we we played this hand was to get some information, and we got no information. Had we not bet on the river, we would have gotten that information. I mean, we wouldn't have got the fact that he check raises on the river, obviously, but we would have found out what he was playing, and then put that in the bank, knowing going forward. Um, so, so yeah, three three big things we've lost here. We we've lost a lot of chips. Um, our psyche is a little messed up, and we got no information. Killer, absolutely killer. Absolutely killer. Hey, uh, next next week is our uh, our anniversary, right? Our first show was June fifteenth, two thousand five. Yeah, that's right. So that's uh, fourteen. How many years is that? Two thousand five. Fourteen years, right? Or is that our fifteenth year? I don't know how you figure that out. Yeah, <laughs> fourteen. Fourteen years next year, next week, buddy. We got we got to do something special for the show. Yeah. All right. Well, let's finish this hand of the week first. <laughs> I was just thinking about it. I was just thinking that. Uh, for, I don't know what it was. Was it? I don't know what made me think of that. I think it was a 15K bet, maybe. I was thinking 15. Yeah. I don't know, because June 15th. I don't know. Anyway, I was just thinking that. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. To, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> one of those Tourette moments or something. I don't know what that was. I just barked well, something up. That Tourette moment made me lose my track of where the hand is. Oh, I, I know that. The guy raised 15K. That was where we stopped. Now we're grumpy old men on the nursing <laughs> home here. <laughs> All right. Uh, here it says, uh, could he have backdoored into a flush with the Queen of Hearts or something like that? Yes. Even Ace Queen? Yes. <laughs> I think we're about 10 seconds in full. It's too early in the tournament to risk half my stack, and I can't be sure that he doesn't have the flush. In retrospect, I assume he checked with the intention of check raising. 
Uh, was it the right move to bet on the river? Now I figured I should have just gone my initial instinct and check back, also because it was so early in the tournament. I played horribly, losing half my stack on a very poorly timed bluff and was out before the first break soon afterwards, which rarely happens to me. Yeah. I'm hoping uh, I'll be able to keep this as a lesson. It's interesting because these are the mistakes. Uh, for example, betting that river bad bluffs that advanced poker training tells me I'm making, and I was sure I'd be able to avoid them in a real tournament. So uh, first step is learning. <laughs> second, step, second step is actually doing it. He's applying it, yeah. Yes, but uh, sorry about that, Michael. But uh, but you know the fact that he, um, he he said I played horribly, lose my stack, and went out. I, I wonder if uh, a big part of that was obviously this hand, right? Yeah, uh, the psyche. So I mean, this uh, this is a hand when you go out uh, with this one. Um, I I think the best thing to do at this point is get up and walk away from the table for a little bit. You're not losing much, you know. Uh, you're actually not even losing annies now because of the big bland annie. So right. I mean, get a couple quote-unquote free hands i mean you're still paying for them at the big line but you know it's not that psychological where i gotta be there because i'm putting a quarter in the pot every time right um it's so early in the tournament and even with the money lost here you still got a lot of chips you know literally get up go to the bathroom get a drink go outside get some fresh air get this hand out of your mind before you play another hand because i am i imagine that's what happened to michael here he just kept playing kept thinking about this hand and kept making bad decisions because of it so so those are the two big lessons, you know. Don't 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 have a bad hand like this early on, and if you do, step away and, and come back when you're refreshed. Yeah, apply what you're learning from uh, advanced poker training, you know. And uh, and and earlier in the show, I was saying 100, 100, 100. That was weird, but it's not weird because that's why they the big blind ante, so they make it like it's just like the blind normal blinds there. So it, it makes sense that that's the way the, the way the, the way the tournaments run. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's a great point. You get up and walk away. I mean. What are you losing? A couple of hands that are cost a hundred and don't even cost you anything, and just just chill and, and and regroup and come back. And we just had somebody. Oh, I think it was. Uh, it might have been the hand of the week that Faso sent in with that pro, where he gotten something where he lost a bunch. He walked away, regrouped, came back, and won a tournament. So yeah. that's to get your mind right. That's the most important thing. So. Well, and think about it this way too. I'm like, you know, this is a a, a pretty general. Again, I don't know what the structure was, so I mean, it, it might have been a little faster, but it's a two hundred thirty dollar buy, and so I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that we're looking at at least twenty minute levels here, if not thirty, right? Right. Um. So, so we lost about eight thousand on that. So we're at what twenty seven. Twenty seven. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you enter a $230 tournament where blinds start at 100, 100, 100 with a 25,000 starting stack? Of course you would. Yeah. You know, so it's still a good value at that point. So when you walk away from the table and you come back, part of what you're walking away from is the fact that everybody else started with 35 and you're sitting down when you come back to it as a brand new tournament with 25K in chips with a lot of play. And if you think of it that way, you, 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 Taking that hand out of your mind and you're still playing. I mean, it's a different story if you've only got four thousand left now or something like that. Now you got to slug it out. But um, don't come back and think about the chips you just lost. Think about the twenty five thousand or twenty six thousand you still have in front of you, and you have a lot of play. But you're not going to do that by sitting at the table. I don't think that's the way. Uh, that's the way Fossil Man thinks. Greg Greg Raymer. That's what he does. He does the exact same thing. He he walks away, comes back, and says, "Hey, I just doubled up to eight thousand chips." You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the way he looks at it. Instead of, yeah. I just lost 14000 now I'm down to eight. It's the same exact mindset, and it's, it's what you have to do to be effective in this game. All right, I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. 
contact the show at podcast at antietmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antietmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.